And now, it's time to sit back and enjoy the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Broadcast. Attention, people of Earth. Do not resist us. All who oppose us shall be annihilated. We command the most powerful army of monsters in the universe. They are sure to defeat your Earth monsters. All those who are hearing this are now under the control of the Earth Destruction Directive. 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 Hello, everyone, and welcome to Earth Destruction Directive. I am your host, as always, Mr. Luke Giaconetti. I would like to thank everyone for downloading and listening to the show today. I'd like to thank everyone who tuned in to our last episode, which uh, I was joined by my uh, colleague in Daikaiju Podcasting, Mr. Nathan Marchand, and we took a look at Godzilla vs. Gigan. And, of course, there also was our annual holiday episode uh, as we took a look at... Uh, Power Ranger Megaforce, Race to Rescue Christmas. I hope everybody enjoyed those episodes. Here we are in 2021. Hard to believe this is the uh, the 10th calendar year that we have been doing Earth Destruction Directive. We are not quite at the 10-year anniversary of the show. That will be coming up this year, but we got a great show to kick off the year, and I'm uh, very happy that all of you uh, downloaded and are, are listening to it. We are taking a look today at uh, at a comic book, but one that is uh, you may not have heard of. I only kind of found it sort of by accident and stumbled onto it. We're taking a look at the first two issues of the indie Daikaiju anthology series, Stomped, created by uh, comics creator Ross Radke. Very excited to talk about this. Um, you know, always uh, trying to find something a little off the beaten path, and uh, I think this definitely... Uh, fits that billing. But we've got a lot of news as well, so let's get right into it. We've got a lot to cover here. Up first, Godzilla vs. Kong officially moved. I know what you're saying. Moved again? Moved up this time. Moved to March 26th from May 21st. Now this is the deal that Legendary worked out with Warner Brothers and uh, involving the, the same day streaming as in as it is showing in theaters for uh, for the their HBO Max service. So if you have movie theaters open, then you'll be able to go and see it. And if you don't have movie theaters open, you can watch it uh, on HBO Max. Now, this new date was announced as part of the settlement between Warner Brothers and Legendary Studio after the, uh, the row, which seemingly emerged after Warner Brothers announced the HBO Max deal originally. The story goes that Legendary got very little notice before Warner Brothers went public with this information, and there was a strong rumor that Netflix was looking to purchase the streaming rights to Godzilla vs. Kong. I don't know if they're also were looking at Dune, which is the other big legendary picture this year, but they were talking $200 million for the streaming rights to Godzilla vs. Kong, and the number I've seen bandied about from... This deal is that Warner has agreed to pay somewhere in the neighborhood of $250 million. I haven't, I don't know that that's confirmed, but that, that's what I've heard. Um, now, there is only one theater near me which is open, which is a local theater called the Camelot. Uh, now, my friend, Mr. Adam Tebow, who you may remember from our Godzilla Final Wars episode, there are some, at least one better theater 
uh, opened by him down uh, about an hour's drive away, a little bit lower down in the uh, in in the state. And uh, that one is actually where we saw Godzilla: King of the Monsters. So if that theater is still open, we may may try it. Um, you know, again, it it really depends on your comfort level and your local restrictions on whether or not you go see it in the theater. Obviously, I I always want to see monster movies like this in the theater if possible. But if it doesn't work, you know, HBO Max is an option. And and you know, we've waited so long for this film at this point. I'm I'm just really excited. The the other interesting thing is that as I'm recording this. We're a couple of days away from the trailer finally dropping. It's, uh, it's, as I'm recording this, it's this coming Sunday, uh, that the trailer will be dropping for this. And now I'm at the point, it's like, do I even want to watch the trailer? You know, I've, I've waited this long for it and I've avoided as much information as possible. Do I want to have anything spoiled? I may not even watch the trailer. I may go, uh, you know, kind of cut off my, uh, my Daikaiju avenues on social media and try and stay dark. Until uh, until March 26, and really just enjoy this cold. I did that as best I could for the three previous MonsterVerse films, and it really helped my enjoyment of those films. So I, I may do that here. But in any event, we have a firm date. That date's been uh, set and confirmed. We've got a new a new poster that's been released. It is currently the lock screen on my phone. Uh, so I'm I'm very excited for this, and uh, hopefully. Uh, we can make it through to March 26th and finally see Godzilla vs. Kong. In other Godzilla news, Waxwork Records has announced they're releasing a set called Godzilla, the Showa-era soundtracks, 1954-1975. to This is an 8-LP set, and it contains soundtracks to all 15 Showa films. Uh, now, these are packaged in heavyweight matte laminate album jackets, and they have a storage box with a magnetic flap, and also has a, a turntable slip mat, and the entire thing is in this uh, really nice-looking slipcase box. This set is absolutely beautiful, but my friends, I must warn you, the beauty comes at a price. A whopping $450. That's a lot of money, and I don't even have a turntable that works. So, I mean, I, I know that there's some audiophiles out there that, that really like the, the vinyl and are into that sort of thing. Uh, I mean, this is, if you're, if that describes you, this set Looks like it'd be right up your alley. I wish I could afford this. This is way out of my price range because it is it is beautiful. And again, I don't even have a turntable to play these on. Now, this is due out in March of 2021, just in time for Godzilla vs. Kong, apparently. So, if uh, if you're a audiophile, go check that out. Now, in Ultraman news, Ultraman Chronicle Z Heroes Odyssey has come to YouTube. Now, on the heels of Ultraman Z and the ongoing Ultra Galaxy Fight the Absolute Conspiracy, this series uses existing footage to recap the adventures of both Ultraman Z and Ultraman Tiga, with the concept being that uh, they uh, they both are Ultraman that change their forms. And the show is hosted by Ultraman Zero. The first uh, two eps, I think the third ep is about to premiere, but the first two episodes are up on YouTube, and they have optional English subtitles. Um, hat tip to Sci-Fi Japan, who were the first one to that I saw this news on. Uh, I watched the first. I watched the first episode. I got the second episode queued up. Uh, it's it's very you know if you've watched any of these um, cro- uh, you know Odyssey type shows, these Chronicle shows, that it's you know recapping adventures. So it is fun to revisit, especially Tiga because it's been years since I've seen any of Tiga, and I watched Tiga when it was dubbed by uh, the Fox Box. Uh, that, you know, that when that, uh, that, you know, 
kind of infamous dub. And uh, so it was very interesting to see that and uh, very fun to get some more uh, Ultraman content on YouTube. And of course, as I've said, the absolute conspiracy is still ongoing. That show really getting into some some really interesting stuff dealing with uh, some characters um, like Ultraman Belial and Ultraman Traegir who, uh, you know, we were evil Ultras and kind of getting into their backstories a little bit. So very cool. Definitely check those out. On a physical side, Monarch Models. We don't talk too much about models here because that's a whole other can of worms getting into Daikaiju models, but this one was too cool not to pass along. Monarch is, as uh, teased on their Facebook page, they are doing a kit of Conga, the British giant ape Conga. It's a 135th scale all-plastic model kit. That's what Monarch does. They're kind of like, they do Aurora-style kits where they're all plastic. And as I said, it's on their Facebook page. It looks like an expanded Aurora kit in that we've got Conga standing in front of a ruined building, and we've got a diorama base with a couple of people uh, laid out uh, on the base as well. There's no pricing or release information yet, but this this is a good-looking kit. Uh, Now, I do want to cover the movie Conga and the comics. Now, the comics, Steve Ditko worked on those uh, comics at Charlton, along with the work he did over on Gorgo. And we'll cover those at some point. Uh, it's interesting that the it, it was the British monster movies that got comics at Charlton that were both worked on by Steve Ditko. So it made kind of an, an interesting an interesting pairing there. So uh, to definitely check that out if you're into modeling at all. Uh, I, I, I'm going to be very tempted. I'm not much of a modeler. My brother's the modeler of the, you know, and, and my and my dad, really. My dad was the one who got, got us both into it. But my brother's the one that goes and wins awards at model shows back when model shows uh, were allowed to happen. So, uh, but still, definitely check that on Facebook. If only to take a look at the kit. It just looks so cool. And finally, John LeMay, good friend of the show and uh, 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 sometimes guest star over on Bots, Bugs, and Babes, uh, he has a new book out. And the new book is called The Big Book of Japanese Giant Monster Movies, The Lost Cuts, Editing Japanese Monsters. Now, this book looks at U.S. versions of Japanese monster movies. This is a huge book. Uh, from the always well-researched author, it's available on Amazon in print and Kindle editions. Um, now, personally, me growing up with a lot of these U.S. versions, I am very eager to check this out. I, I got the book, and I read the first two chapters, or I'm halfway through the second chapter. The first chapter is on Godzilla, King of the Monsters, and the second chapter is on Rodan. And John has gone scene by scene, and in some instances, shot by shot, to compare the original with the, the re-edited American version. And Rodan especially, some of the details getting into on that is is just, it just this flood of nostalgia for me because I've watched the U.S. version of Rodan so many times because it is one of, was one of my favorites as a kid, still one of my favorites. Uh, so definitely, if you are interested at all in the, the how these movies were presented to audiences in the West, definitely check that book out. All of John's stuff is, is, is really, um, you know, I said, so well-researched. It's invaluable if you're, you know, a, a fan that wants to go and dig into this stuff. It's just crazy, the stuff that he puts up. So uh, please take a look at that. Um, that is all the news I have. If you have anything you'd like to share with Earth Destruction Directive, you can email us at earthdestructiondirective at yahoo.com. And if you send us some news, we'll be sure to give you credit on the show. All right, I'm going to take a quick break, and we'll get right into it with Stomped, right here on Earth Destruction Directive. Two true freaks just got a little more random. 
Pop Culture Affidavit, the podcast that looks at everything random in the world of popular culture, is now on the Two True Freaks Network. Every episode is something different. Movies, comics, television, music. So join me, Tom Panneries, for Pop Culture Affidavit, the sworn testimony of a dork, at twotruefreaks.com and popcultureaffidavit.com. All right, we are back here on Earth Destruction Directive. Stomped, a kaiju comic anthology, issue one, was cover dated June of 2020 and is copyrighted creator, uh, Ross Radke. Uh, now, as I said, Ross Radke is credited as the author in the Indicia, but each story actually has its own credits. So and we've got three separate stories in this issue, and you'll see in issue two, we also have uh, three individual stories. Uh, now, I came across this, one of my friends on Twitter, I think it may have been Kirk Spencer, Big Five Army, uh, retweeted a tweet from the creator, Ross Radke, uh, wherein uh, Mr. Radke was asking for anyone who wanted to review comics to let him know if they were interested in reviewing his giant monster comic. And I reached out and said, I do a giant monster podcast. Would love to take a look at your comic. And Mr. Radke was kind enough to send me the first two issues in review copy PDFs. And um, we're going to talk about them here because I figure, you know, uh, I'm always looking for stuff off the beaten path, always looking for, you know, new voices in, in giant monsters. And, you know, that I'm not really that great at finding them, though it's one of my friends was able to find it. And now we can give this book some little bit of exposure and uh, see if it's worth picking up. So let's get right into it. Our cover depicts two daikaiju, um, one in the more in the background, one more in the foreground. One has a vaguely whale-like jaw, and it's heading off to the left-hand side of the uh, of the cover. Whereas the other monster is a mantis type of beast. It's standing front and center in an inferno, looking directly at us. This cover is by Ross Radke. And it is very striking. You can definitely tell these are giant monsters immediately upon looking at them, despite the lack of any buildings or anything else to give a sense of scale like we always talked about with Herb Trimpey's covers for Godzilla and um, Shogun Warriors at Marvel but definitely uh, a very catching cover and I like it it's it still has all the cre uh, the creator uh, names on the front so it says uh, Ross Radke, Andre Diaz, Hassan Atsmane Elhao and Matt Strachbein who are the cre- the creators in this particular issue now after the cover we do have a text piece, which I'm going to read. I like this text piece because it does basically give the entire setup to kind of the premise of Stomped as a series. And so I thought it was a good inclusion here. In the year 2002, three colossal beasts, now commonly referred to as kaiju, appeared across the globe. By the end of 2003, five more kaiju had emerged. Their origin remained a mystery while their numbers continued to grow. In the following decades... United Nations forces made many attempts to exterminate these creatures, utilizing cutting-edge genetic research and robotic weapons technology. Atomic bombs were deployed in remote locations on several occasions. By the year 2020, mankind shared the planet with over 350 kaiju, having successfully terminated 14 and a half. So that is our setup. All right, now we've got a lot of ground to cover, so we're going to get right into these. I'm going to talk about each feature each story individually in both issues and give uh, a synopsis as well as my thoughts on them. So our first story 
is Hybrid Theory. This is a 12-page story. Uh, the story is written by Ross Radke. The art is by Andre Diaz, and the lettering is by Hassan Atmane El Hal. At a private research facility, Dr. Anna Dominguez is creating hybrids of apes mixed with kaiju DNA. After a successful demonstration against a former circus elephant, the military deploys four of the apes against a massive insectoid kaiju attacking Madrid. The deployment turns disastrous, however, when the kaiju is able to seemingly communicate with the hybrids, turning them against their handlers, including Dr. Dominguez. In the aftermath, the research is shut down and all remaining hybrids euthanized, except for one juvenile subject, saved by Dr. Dominguez's unnamed research assistant. As an introduction to the Stomped universe, I thought this story did a very good job of bringing uh, me in as a reader, catching my attention and immediately getting me up to speed. I like that after the text piece, we're thrown right into the world. Radke simply tells a story. He doesn't really try to do any, uh, you know, air quotes up to the mic mythology or will word building. Rather, he's just focusing on a single tale that takes place in this setting. Uh, the story itself makes me think of sort of an organic take on Pacific Rim. You know, engineering a solution to the kaiju problem. Uh, you know, in Pacific Rim, it's a combination of man and machine, whereas here it's a fully organic solution. And of course, that uh, that solution, naturally, goes impossibly wrong for pretty much all involved. I also really liked the art by Diaz. It's It's very clean, but it still has a slightly rough what we might call an indie style to it, so I thought it looked very unique. The characters are clearly identifiable, both the humans and the monsters, including the hybrids. And those monsters, again, the hybrids and the kaiju, they're really, really sharp, but very well designed, uh, colorful without looking garish, and, and definitely, um, especially in the hybrids, you can really see the different types of apes that were used to create the different hybrids. I think they're really well done. Um, now, the hybrids... In my mind, they're, they kind of play on the, the sympathetic monster ape trope, like King Kong. And as I said, they're all clearly based on different apes. And I really enjoyed seeing them climb around Madrid. It's really quite neat. Uh, but the hybrids, they give way to our giant monster. And it's a demonic, red-skinned, eight-limbed mantid of some kind. And on this monster, it would not look out of place on Pacific Rim or an Ultraman show. And in fact, as I'm recording this just earlier tonight, I actually saw a little bit of Son of Godzilla with Kamakura stomping around, and this looks like Kamakura's turned up to 11. The fallout from the assault is appropriately gruesome. The final fate of Dr. Dominguez is especially fitting, being picked up and dropped into the gaping maw of one of her hybrids. Now the ending with the unnamed assistant and the juvenile hybrid, it's an intriguing cliffhanger. Hopefully this will be picked up again later uh, because we still have a few more issues left of the of the anthology. Now, as an initial story in the first issue, uh, I thought Hybrid Theory did a really good job of selling me on the concept of Stomped and making me think that okay, maybe there's something to this. So uh, I thought that was a strong story right out of the gate, and it was a good one to open with. The second story in issue number one is called Blind Date. It is also 12 pages. Story and art are by Ross Radke, and the letters again by Hassan Atmane El Hal. A couple is on a blind date in a coffee shop when a kaiju stomps down the street. The young woman, Kim, strips down to her sports bra and compression shorts and chases after the kaiju. 
Incredibly, Kim is able to catch the monster's foot and throw it off its feet to the ground while saving a dog. The monster swallows her, but Kim is able to survive in its mouth until the monster spits her out onto a parked car. Kim springboards off the car and then climbs the kaiju like she was scaling a mountain, punching into its hide as she goes. Felling the beast, Kim discovers that she has drawn a crowd of onlookers, including her blind date. Later, Dr. Stein, Kim's father, calls her after hearing about her exploits on the TV news. Initially concerned about Kim being exposed, a call from the Pentagon reveals that Kim is needed in Seattle, as another kaiju has been spotted. This is a great personal story of, of one woman fighting a kaiju. An uncommon story format for giant monsters, for sure. Thematically, this is similar to the mutants fighting Ibera in Final Wars, if you remember that scene. But in all honesty, and this is a complete shoot, I like this short story better than that sequence in Final Wars. Um, the story, it's very straightforward, and the art is well-suited to it, obviously. Uh, Mr. Radke doing the story and art, so we got a, uh, you know, a one-artist situation here, writer and art, which is, is always, always makes me think of an indie book, and I think it's a good fit. Uh, and I do like it. Not, not to, uh, not to, um, discount the lettering, uh, by, uh, Atsmane Elhau, which is, which is quite nice as well. But, you know, normally you think of the, um, uh, the, no, the art in and of itself. The lettering comes into play a lot with the sound effects and such, which are which are really well done here as well. Um, but the depiction of Kim in the art is great. She's portrayed as a young, fit woman. She's not a vamped up superheroine. You know, we like I said, we see her stripping down to her sports bra and her compression shorts, and um, you know, and then she runs out of the coffee shop, and you know, it's not. It's not sexualized, you know. She really does look just like a fit woman. She's very muscular, and she's got a, a uh, she's got a wonderful haircut. She's got it, you know, cut uh, blonde hair, shaved real close on the side, and then a big pink mane coming out of the top. She also has um, um, several tattoos on her arms. We don't we see she has some on her back. We don't see that as much because of because she's wearing her top. Her tattoos are really well thought out, I thought, and they're consistent from panel to panel. That's one of the hard things to do with tattoos sometimes is, you know, you've got to reproduce them each time. And uh, I think actually in, in one of the, uh, uh, in, in, you know, again, it's I think it's, it's well done here. The panels of her climbing the kaiju, those look great. It really sells the climbing movement. Like you see, if you see somebody climbing the rock wall, you know, we're actually climbing a mountain. The poses and the angles, it really, really does sell that she's climbing it like a mountain climber. Um, makes me wonder if uh, Mr. Radke's a climber or perhaps was just hanging out at the, uh, you know, the, at the gym where they have the rock wall. Because that's, oh, that's what it really made me think of. The kaiju itself, it reminds me a bit of the ultra monster Gamakujima, uh, the frog whale, you know, the, the, that like to eat pearls. Now that fits this monster's land whale motif. So that's, uh, you know that 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 is no problem with me, and definitely plenty of monster gore in this story as well. As I said, as Kim punches her way up to climb this uh, this monster's hide with these green uh, goo ichor splurching out of it, and, like, that's that's one of the uh, one of the automatopoeia sound effects is splutch, which is a, a great sound. Now, based on information provided. Um, on a pinup in this issue, Kim was the inspiration for the entire world of Stomped. So I really hope to see more of her in future installments. I really liked this one. I think she has a, a really fun personality. Uh, she's, you know, not, she doesn't 
you know, she, again, she's not treated or portrayed like a superheroine, just treated like a normal woman kind of doing this ridiculous, abnormal behavior. So uh, I, I really liked this, and hopefully, like I said, we'll get to see some more of Kim in future installments. And I, and based on some uh, chatter I've seen from uh, Mr. Radke on Twitter, I think that's probably a good bet. The third story in Issue 1 of Stomped is called Run and Hide, and it is done by Matt Strachdine. And this is a a two-pager, little two-page strip. Our story is an educational film for school children featuring Ron Rabbit explaining what to do in case of a kaiju attack. Um, That's all I'm going to really get into because that's basically all this is. Like I said, it's only two pages. Uh, This is a very, very cynical but still kind of amusing two-page short. Ron Rabbit's advice of run and hide is echoed by the class's teacher, who tells the kids to drop everything and go. Now, this is accompanied by small panels showing hands, it looks like children's hands, discarding a doll, discarding crayons and a candy bar, and what looks like a parent? It's not clear from the art if the parent and child are reaching for each other, or if the parent is dropping the kid to run off, um, it's you know I I don't I'm not sure about that. It's the art it, to me is unclear reading it. The ending as well is a little mean spirited, but again that kind of fits with the cynical nature of this little short. Um, I'll be honest with you, of the three, this was my my least favorite. I really like the art. The art is very cartoony, and it really does kind of suit the um, both the the kids. Uh, and the idea that this is a educational short that we're seeing. So I do like the art, and I do understand, I said, the, the kind of cynical nature of this. Uh, you know, how do you, how do you have a, a kid's educational film about a, a giant monster attacking? You know, how does that make any sense? But I would not have missed this if it was not included. And that may just be because of the relatively serious nature of the other two stories. Uh, there's a little bit of, of humor with... Um, in uh, Blind Date, but it's not, th- this is basically being played for kind of like, <laughs> you know, that type of, of uncomfortable laugh. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, I didn't, th- this didn't really do it for me. Like I said, I, I do like the art and I do like the concept of it. Uh, the execution left me a little bit cold, unfortunately. Now, overall, as a first issue, I thought Stomp number one was a quite good read. You had two really solid stories. Plus, the comedy short in there makes for a good anthology format, a good layout, and good use of the pages. And it kicks off the series well. I, th- I liked the inclusion of the text piece at the beginning. Uh, in the copy that I was provided, there's some back matter material where we see the development of the different uh, monsters and characters. We have a, a sketchbook, basically. Uh, there's a study showing all of, um, of Kim's tattoos, which is, which is really quite nice. And, uh, you know, so there's a lot of good stuff in here, and I really like this, especially as an independent uh, book that didn't have any backing. It's an original creation. It's not based on any existing property. I thought this was uh, was definitely a good comic, and it made me excited to read the second one, which really is the job of a first comic, a first issue of a comic series, right? So, with that in mind, let's move right on to issue number two. Stomped number two was cover dated December 2020. Once again, copyright Ross Radke. Uh, The cover again by Ross Radke depicts a giant lizard monster with a snout sort of like a crocodile, 
sort of, kind of like a porpoise. Uh, he is, uh, and he's also got armored plates on his back, and plus eyeballs running down his flank. Now he's walking to the right-hand side of the column behind a shapeless lump of cells in a tank, and a tentacle-limbed drone on the ground in front of the tank. It's a striking monster, and uh, the cover is thus very eye-catching. You've got this kind of sickly green of the fluid in the tank, and that kind of draws your eyes in. The logo is a bright pink with a green border. Uh, pink and green, I see those colors paired a lot uh, down here in South Carolina, unlike women's purses and stuff like that, but it's very eye-catching, and I like it a lot. And the monster looks great, too. He's got this, uh, because his eyes are set on the side of his head, it looks like he's staring right at the reader. And all the elements, and I just noticed this, there is a, a pizza box on this cover as well, and that will come into play uh, in our story, uh, in, in one of the stories in this issue. So very good cover uh, by, by uh, Mr. Radke. Uh, again, we have um, three different stories. Um, three different creative teams, and we'll get into those as we go through it. Uh, there is the same text piece is included, but there also is a secondary text piece, which is a good addition because it sets up one of the stories quite nicely here. Uh, so um, our first story is called Mass, but before I read that, I'm going to read this text piece because I said this is the one it sets up. Every kaiju appears to be a physiologically unique creature, not adhering to any useful system of taxonomic classification. Besides their massive size, they all share a remarkable regenerative process unrivaled by any species previously known to science. Some have been observed regrowing entire limbs the length of a train car within a, a matter of hours. Kaiju genetic research is the new wild. West. So, as I said, our first story in this issue is called Mass. The story is by Ross Radke. The art is by Hugo Fielpemu, and uh, the letters, again, by Hassan Atsmane El Hau. At a kaiju bioresearch facility, two researchers, Marion and Tom, notice that their specimen has begun responding to a protein-rich diet. But when a romantic liaison between the two goes wrong, for Tom, the specimen gets more food from Marion and continues to grow. Soon, the specimen has taken over the entire facility, while the venture capitalists backing the project are excited by the results they are seeing. Uh, more of a straight horror story, this uh, this 12-pager here. Like I said, it's uh, kind of, it's just, it's set in the Daikaiju world, but it's not really a Daikaiju story. Now, please don't misunderstand. That's Unusual, but not unwelcome. I'm a big horror fan. Obviously, one of the other podcasts I do is a straight horror podcast. And this story, let's say, um, take it out of the context of giant monsters. You put this into a horror anthology book, and it works perfectly there. So that is not a complaint. The story seems to be inspired a bit by John Carpenter's The Thing. To an extent. Uh, the thing that kind of made me think of the thing is that you have several characters in an isolated location. In fact, the, uh, the researchers are seen to be bunking at the research facility being threatened. Um, and so they're all at this one place and they can't really leave and they're being menaced by a sneaking monster of some kind. That's kind of like the thing, right? Where everyone's stuck at the Arctic research facility and there's a, some kind of hidden uh, threat that is stalking all of them. 
the art's clear and easy to follow, and that is important in this one because there's a lot of different characters, and they're all human. So knowing who each character is is uh, is is key with that kind of stuff. Sometimes you do get, and and this is not an indictment of indie comics, because you get this in mainstream comics too, where you've got a lot of people if they're not wearing costumes, it becomes very difficult sometimes to tell them apart. Not really a problem here. Uh, really nice art by uh, Phil Pume uh, Pemu. I'm I'm sure I'm butchering his name, and I apologize for that. Uh, but I do like the art. There is a really nice Johnny Craig-like touch at one point as um, Marion is in the throes of passion and she is um, astride her partner. And uh, as she's leaning back, we see a, uh, a monstrous tentacle snaking out of one of her nostrils. Very creepy. Um, at, uh, you know, I didn't, I was looking at it and it, see one, it seems like one thing's going on, but then there's something else horrific also happening. That's what makes me think of Johnny Craig. That was one of his hallmarks back on the EC horror books. And so that was where my mind immediately jumped. I really appreciated that. Uh, overall, I dug this story, even though it's not a, you know, daikaiju in the strict traditional sense. I thought it was a strong horror tale and a heck of a way to kick off the second issue, especially given the extra information that Radke provides us with that text piece about that research is the Wild West. I really liked this. Again, different, not really what I might think of in a Daikaiju comic book. But you know what? Again, it's tell the stories, right? Tell the stories that make sense in the universe, and this one definitely did. The second story in issue two is another 12-pager. It is entitled Might. And as story and colors by Ross Radke, art by Guy Pradell, and letters once more by Hassan Atsmane El Hal. At a demonstration of a non-lethal anti-kaiju weapon, Dr. Girard's Mightbot, an autonomous drone equipped to find soft tissue and inject a paralyzing neurotoxin, is easily smashed by an ape hybrid, not impressing the military brass. Dr. Gerard returns to his lab to find that the military used the demonstration as an excuse to seize all of his research and materials. Later, when a giant reptile stomps through Lyon in France, the same general deploys numerous mite-bots, but they all fail after a massive electromagnetic pulse. While the brass and their tech support team are flabbergasted, saying no kaiju has ever demonstrated that power before, we see Dr. Girard planting explosives on an EMP weapon to destroy the evidence of his deed. Now this one is more of a giant monster story, but still focused on individual characters, similar to we saw with Blind Date in the first issue. I really enjoyed this story. There's some nice continuity in the form of the ape hybrid, with Dr. Girard even saying that he thought all of them were killed. Uh, the uh, the military brass says uh, basically is like you know how expensive these things were, which I thought was a great response. And the scenes of our reptilian kaiju named Shoni in the back matter sketchbook, wading his way through Lyon, are wonderfully depicted. Uh, Pradell does a, a great job depicting this monster and his scale and size and how he smashes his way through Lyon. Uh, now bonus points is that uh, Pradell chose Lyon as the setting which, according to the back matter, again, is close to where he lives. So that that was just, that tickled me. I really like that. Uh, now, like the story with Kim, like Blind Date, I suspect that Dr. Girard will be a recurring character, 
And if that's the case, this story is a very strong introduction to him as a character. I also really like the art, but the human and the inhuman characters are well designed. The pages, I thought, are laid out really well. There's some, especially during the monster attack scene, there's some great uh, page layouts. And the digital colors work really nicely for the narrative. Sometimes with digital colors, they um, it, it's, it's like too well-defined, too saturated. I'm not an artist, so you have to excuse me. I don't necessarily know the right terms. But here, it's subtle, and it looks just artificial enough, if that makes sense. When you've got, uh, you know, and an, a, a fantastical situation, like a giant monster, um, you know, attacking a, a, a city in France, having those colors be a little unnatural, I, I like that. It, it fits the story, and I think it does a good job um, of, of helping the story along. You know, sometimes colors can be just colors, right? But a good colorist, and we used to talk about this with Carl Gafford, uh, back again in the Marvel series, that a good colorist really enhances the art in a way that is sometimes hard to explain. And I think that uh, Radke's colors do a really good job in this story doing that. Um, very enjoyable overall. Really a, a good story. And uh, I, I do like that uh, that our monster Shoney gets the, the, some you know prime real estate on the cover because he only appears for about five or six pages, but he's very memorable and uh, he has a, he has a good showing in here, even though he really doesn't get to do that much. It's mostly Dr. Girod, if you understand what I'm saying. All right, our third and final story in Stomped Issue Two is called Slice of Life, and is uh, written and drawn by Matthew Sargent. It is a six-page story. And in our story, a pizza delivery guy makes a delivery to the, quote, bunker burb of Marshfield, bringing pizza pies to an underground bunker. He then scavenges a supermarket for ingredients. The trip to the market also turns up a corpse. Back at the pizzeria, the driver brings in his scavenged ingredients to his boss, including so-called fresh meat, which promptly is put on the menu as Canadian bacon. Now, similar to the short story in issue one, this is a cynical tale with a very downbeat ending. This one, at least, has a really good gag with the pizzeria owner naming the fresh meat Canadian bacon due to the corpse's Ontario driver's license. Cannot lie, I laughed at that. I was horrified and amused at the same time, which I think was the intention here uh, from Sargent. Now, this, uh, like I said, th this strip, you can tell this was done in 2020 because it also pokes fun at the wealthy locking down insecurity in a crisis. There's even an essential businesses joke. I mean, that is very on the nose. You know, sometimes uh, when you do things that are, you know, um, so I always think of a line, it's it, it, you want to be hip, not trendy, right? So I think in this case, it's 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 obviously a product of its time. How well it'll age, I don't know. I mean, for those of us right now, the concept of, you know, locking down and uh, essential businesses and all that, that's all still all very fresh in our minds. I don't care where you live in this, in, here in the United States, that, that means something. But uh, so I, I did like that, that joke. Uh, now, as gruesome as the end gag of this strip is, as I said, I have to admit it was pretty funny. And I liked this kind of, it's funny because the two, for lack of a better term, lighthearted strips are the most cynical in the two issues, whereas the others are a bit more uh, sincere in, in their presentation of the story. Of the two, 
This one I liked a lot more. First off, it's a little bit bigger at six pages. Uh, there's some uh, some good uh, storytelling from Sargent where we have pages without dialogue and we just see our our pizza delivery guy kind of going through um, going through the market. But like I said, the 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 concept and the the gag uh, amused me, and really it did some world world building in and of itself. The concept of the the bunker burb. And that there are people that are so used to the uh, the monsters coming through, to the kaiju coming through, that they've simply built themselves fancy shelters to hang out in. So I I like that too. That I, I think you could make some hay with that in stories going forward. So it's not just uh you know not not just a, a a strip to do a gag. It has something some meat to the bone. No pun intended. Or was it? <laughs> but yeah, I I did like this one. I th- I thought this was a, a good good way to end the issue. And like I said, it's it's if you can be horrifying and funny at the same time, I think you've done a good job. Uh, now issue two of Stomped, another really solid, really good issue, continuing to build this overall Stomped setting. Again, I really enjoyed the variety to the stories and the different art styles therein. If you're gonna do an anthology do an anthology, you know? I understand the idea sometimes that you want to have consistency, but to me, the strength of an anthology is that you can tell different stories and they don't have to look the same, don't have to be the same tone. And and I think that Radke and the creators that he's assembled here are doing a good job of that on these first two issues, and that we do have more serious stories as leads. We've got slightly more, said, more, again, for lack of a better term, light-hearted stories in the back, but each story is different. They're not all just, um, you know, straight daikaiju stories. There's there's nothing uh, that says you can't do a horror story or that you can't do uh, a personal tale about a researcher done wrong. So that I, I like that they lean into that, and I hope that that continues as we get the uh, eventually get the next two issues of this series. Now, if you are intrigued at all by this coverage, by me talking about these stories, go check this out. Go pick it up. Because I think if you're listening to Earth Destruction Directive, you're already more prone to liking giant monsters and comic books. And you'll probably like this giant monster comic book. And and if you're and again, if you if you're anywhere near my wavelength, again, you're always looking for things a little off the beaten path. This is definitely qualifies that as that. Now, speaking of which, if you would like to buy Stomped, it can be found at gumroad.com slash Ross Radke, and I will put this link in the show notes. Um, now, the format is a pay-what-you-want with a minimum, and then you get a PDF download. They have the first two issues, also a making-of for issue one. And I, I bought all three of them, and uh, I'm not going to mince words. I paid a little bit more than the, the minimum because I, I enjoyed them and wanted to support the project. Uh, I've been following uh, Ross Radke on Twitter, at Ross Radke, I believe. And per what he's been putting out, the third issue is due next year. Now, keep in mind, we're 2021, so 2022. Uh, but he is also working on, a, I think, a mini-comic written and drawn entirely by him, is, is what I've gathered from, from what he's put up on Twitter. So looking forward to that as well, as, and anything else that comes out of this. I'm definitely going to keep my eye on uh, on Mr. Radke's Twitter and, and follow along with this. Uh, I, I think, I say go check it out, you know? It's like, uh, it, there's, there is so much content out there now for comics between what the big two are publishing, what the smaller press publishers are publishing, and what folks are out there doing on their own, whether they're crowdfunded, whether they're just simply full independent comics, however you do it, there's so much stuff out there. And 
you know, I, I, if there's something that you find that you like, I think the best way to do it, besides supporting the artist or artists involved, is to signal boost it and get it out there for more people. Like I said, I did not know what to expect going into this. I thought, well, you know, if, at worst, it maybe it's, uh, you know, it's okay and we just tack it on as a, as a segment and say, oh, yeah, go check out this indie comic. But I ended up really enjoying these, so I'm definitely glad that I, I reached out and... Uh, and 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 got in contact with Mr. Radke so that we could we could take a look at these comics on the show and hopefully uh you know sooner rather than later we'll get some more stomped uh uh material to cover let that also be an object lesson any podcasters out there you know if if you want to cover something reach out to artists and ask hey do you have something you'd like for me to review and if you see art cuz i see artists on on twitter saying hey does, if there's any reviewers out there want to review my comic you know it's a good way to to find something new i did this a couple of times on my old comic book blog which i've i've almost never talked about which was el jacone's comic book bunker back in the day and um actually ended up getting a cover blurb on the back of the trade paperback of uh savage beauty from moonstone comics which was a jungle uh, jungle action uh, comic and uh, you know but again it, it doesn't hurt to ask the worst thing they can say is no right and then you know maybe you can find something that you like and you can help out the creators uh, who put together that that item that you liked so uh, has anyone else out there checked this out um, I'd love to hear some other thoughts from uh, anyone else that that's read stomped uh, so if you have checked it out if you've uh, picked it up at gumroad.com why don't you send me an email earth destruction directive at yahoo.com we can talk about it here on the show all right, I'm going to take a quick break, and we'll be right back with listener feedback and closing out the show right here on Earth Destruction Directive. Once upon a time, five friends who met on the Bot Talk Transformers forum set out to develop a podcast dedicated to their various interests. Transformers, science fiction, fantasy, and comic books. Part fanboys and part assholes, they came to be known as the fanholes. Their unbridled enthusiasm for podcasting did not end there, and soon enough, their proper podcast spun off into the Fanholes network of podcasts. Besides our podcast proper, the Fanholes soon had a continuum of genre-specific, focused shows such as Mobile Suit Mondays, Transformers Tuesdays, Toku Thursdays, and Sentai Saturdays. New weekly content can be found on Podbean, iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and fanholespodcast.blogspot.com. Fanholes Podcast, the pop culture podcast, made for the fans, by the fans. All right, we are back here on Earth Destruction Directive. And now it is time for a little bit of listener feedback, if you would like to get into the show. Uh, get in touch with the show, I should say. You can email me at earthdestructiondirective at yahoo.com. You can also reach me on Facebook and Twitter, and all the information will be in the outro to the show. So let's get right into it. Our first email today comes from my good friend, Professor Allen. And Professor Allen writes, Ultraman! And uh, Professor says, Luke, a few thoughts on the pair of Ultraman episodes from Earth Destruction Directive number 87. This one, the... Yeah, let's try that again. This was the era when lots of sci-fi properties were moving underwater, and it was fun to see Ultraman do an underwater episode. Like space, it is a dark and dangerous place full of strange creatures, even if many of those are filmed in an aquarium. In this episode, those strange creatures including kids and a dumb, scar-smoking bureaucrat. Scary times indeed. And let's not tell Shag, 
but it did remind me of some Doctor Who episodes of the era fun story. Yeah, there was a lot of people in hallways. That's always kind of a Doctor Who thing, right? Uh, we're, in a, we're in a very inexpensive area, and we're going to walk up and down hallways. No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, um, I, that, that, that guy smoking the cigar, it seems like you're in a controlled environment, man. Please, come on. You know, and you're right. I mean, I do think of that because, you know, we, it's always the thing that, oh, you know, outer space is the final frontier, but we've only explored, you know, so little of Earth's own oceans and all this strange stuff. I always think of Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea, which is a favorite of mine uh, from a little bit before this, but right in the same era there in the 60s. And uh, a, a show that definitely played on, on that very concept. Uh, so Alan continues, the next one with the comet. Although a serious issue with the world ending and all that included some slapstick moments to lighten up the episode. After a run of serious and artistic episodes, it was to me a welcome return to form. And this one gave me a strong recollection of watching this when I was a kid. I distinctly remember the scene where the team is frolicking in the snow and the monster appears behind the mountains. And then there was the monster versus monster versus monster fight. Hard to beat that. Very enjoyable episode, although I don't deny that some of that may well have been nostalgia. Keep up the good work and keep them stomping, Professor Allen. Relatively geeky podcast network and Dorkness Delight. Well, thank you, Professor Allen, for writing in. Always uh, great to hear from you and always great to have you on the show. Um, you know, we did uh, we did some uh, work with Jamila uh, last year, and hopefully we can get you back on the show again. And yeah, I mean, uh, the Mysterious Comet Sufone, it's, it's not a... It's definitely a fun episode. You know, right? We have been getting a lot of ones where the stories were really getting kind of sharp and we were getting either horror elements or science fiction elements or even espionage elements. Whereas this one's just kind of an excuse to get the monsters all together and let them smash it up. And there's something to be said for that in giant monsters. You know, you don't have to reinvent the genre every time out. Sometimes you can just have monsters fighting. That's okay. You know, it's not, it's not the end of the world, but, uh, I, and, and well, I mean, in this case, it almost was the end of the world, you know? So, but I, I liked that episode too. And I'm, and I'm glad that it brought back fond memories for you. It's so much, so much fun with all the monsters and all that. And it's, it, it really is a fun episode. And I know, I know you're digging Ultraman the most, man. So thank you, uh, professor for writing in always great to hear from you. Uh, our second email tonight comes from my brother, Jason Giaconetti, and it is entitled Sparks Flying. Hey Luke, you mentioned the mini Gigan toy you had as a kid, just jumping in. This is from the uh, Godzilla vs. Gigan episode that I did with uh, Nathan Marchand of the Monster Island Film Vault. Uh, Jay continues, I had a Godzilla toy from the same line. We got them at the local IGA, Kobackers. Uh, IGA, of course, is Independent Grocers Alliance. You may have an IGA in your neighborhood. You may not. I grew up with one, which is Kobackers in Brewster, New York, and that uh, is still still running strong today, that IGA. Uh, Jay continues, they were at the old counter with the baseball cards and candy. This is the same place we got packs of cards for Rocky IV, Gremlins, Dinosaurs Attack, Return of the Jedi, etc., Oh man, we didn't know how good we had it back then. Trading card, wax packs, giant candy bars, just cool stuff. As for when we could have seen Godzilla vs. Gigan, it was on WNYW Channel 5 on a Saturday afternoon. It was not the whole movie as we caught it in the middle-ish, but we definitely saw some of it. It also might have been at Disney when we checked into the Polynesian Resort 
and were watching some of it as mom was getting our swim trunks out of the luggage. We definitely caught some of a Godzilla movie that one time, because dad said we were heading to the pool, and the Polynesian pool was always a blast, so the big G lost out to the big water slide and waterfall. Sorry I don't have a better, clearer story, but hope that helps. Keep them stomping, Jason. Well, since you remembered all of that, I don't remember any of it. You're doing better than me. When my brother sent me this email, I sent him a message. I said, I said, uh, man, he says, how, I, I said, how do I not remember this? He says, how do I remember this? You know, we both had concussions and other head injuries from playing football, you know, but, uh, Jay, Jay is absolutely right. That Kobat, that is where we got it. It was at Kobackers. I wasn't sure whether it was at Kobackers in a little like open tray that had the little spark monsters, or if it was in a blind, um, like a capsule thing at the AMP, but he is right. It was at Kobackers uh, that we got that. And, and, and I know you guys know what I'm, you guys and gals out there know what I'm talking about. It's, you know, like the little cardboard display with the little tray in it and all the monsters were sitting in there like you might see with uh, little diecast cars or other toys at a, at a grocery store or at a, uh, a pharmacy. Uh, so that that is what he's talking about there. And yeah, now as far as that, I figured it probably was on Channel 5. I remember seeing more Godzilla movies on Channel 5 than anywhere else, so I, uh, except on um, like King Kong vs. Godzilla or Godzilla's Revenge on TBS. But uh, th- that was a little bit later. That was in the cable days. You know, now Gamera I remember seeing more on Captain, uh, Captain USA, you know, uh, watching like uh, War of the Monsters on, on USA. But, uh, but yeah, I think you're right. I had no recollection whatsoever of the, the Disney story. So thank you so much for that. I, I keep finding that the older I get, the more I realize the stuff that I don't remember that you do that really helps me out. So, uh, thank you very much, Jay, for writing in. And I wish I still had that little sparking guy again. I have no idea where that ended up. I'm sure the spark was completely dead as much as I played with it. Um, but, uh, and I remember one time watching Godzilla versus Megalon and running and carrying my little toy Gigan to watch it because I still loved Gigan so much even back then. So Jay, thank you very much for writing in. Always, always appreciated and always glad to hear from you. Now we do have another email from uh, our listener, Rich S. We're going to save that for next time uh, because, uh, you know, I do want to keep a little bit in the, in the reserve. Uh, always do try to keep some emails uh, going forward, but uh, you are getting a little low on the email sack. So uh, if you uh, want to hear your name read on a podcast and uh, get your email read, now's a good time to send one in. Uh, now, speaking of hearing your name on a podcast, social media, likes, shares, and retweets for episode 88 came from the Telltale Mind, Nathan Marchand, host of the Monster Island Film Vault, Two True Freaks, The Fan Holes Podcast, Bro Rad. Big Bad Benjamin, my brother Jason Giaconetti, John Vanover, Chuck Rodriguez, Adam Tebow, Derek William Crabb, Derek WC, my sister-in-law Kelly Giaconetti, Gene Hendricks, Gene Gene the Podcasting Machine, Robert Ludwig, the most sane man among us, Chris Mounts, David Stevens, John Kilgallen, Burma Gaynor, Robert Ward, Bob Hansen, and Patrick Delmore. Thank you, everyone, for your social media love. Uh, every little bit, every like, every thumbs up, every uh, share, every retweet, it helps get word out about the show, and it is very much appreciated. Uh, you know, it, it's it's funny sometimes watching the trends of which networks 
get better traction on which episodes, uh, but all of it is appreciated. So if, if, uh, if, you know, if you gave the show a like, I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. You are doing your part to help spread the, the word of Earth Destruction Directive. Now we come to the point in the show where you have to ask, what lies before us? And to find out what lies before us, we must look back. And, uh, you know, I had said <laughs> on the uh, on the year-ending Gaiden episode that we were going to try to do Road to Godzilla vs. Kong and lead up to May with the MonsterVerse movies. Well, after I recorded that, of course, they moved the movie to March. So that means we got to get on the road to GVK right now. So next time out on Earth Destruction Directive, we are taking a look at Legendary's Godzilla 2014. And uh, it's going to be the road to GVK because it is the, we're, we're going full throttle onto Godzilla vs. Kong right now. So we're going to take a look at this one. Um, it's, it's been a little while since I've watched this one. Uh, I did do a Gaiden on the night that I saw it. So you can go into the archives and find that. But I think it's Gaiden 10 or 12, something like that. Um, but you can go find that if you, if you want to hear my thoughts from uh, Cheese and Rice seven years ago when that movie first came out. But very much looking forward to give that one a full some full coverage on the episode. Uh, of course, any new news or anything that breaks, we'll, we'll have it here. Uh, your emails and other feedback, absolutely. Uh, appreciate everybody downloading and listening to the show. I'd like to take this moment just to add that here we are in a new year. Uh, a lot of people looking for a fresh start after 2020. Well... Uh, some things will stay the same, and one of those things that stays the same is that Earth Destruction Directive is for everyone. If you are interested in giant monsters, if giant monsters bring you happiness or joy, or if you're a new fan and you want to learn, you are welcome here at Earth Destruction Directive. And uh, I do mean that, and uh, this fandom needs to look out for itself, so I'm just here to do my little part. So, please come back next time where we're talking about Godzilla 2014. Thank you again for downloading and listening to this episode. And until next time, keep them stomping. This has been Earth Destruction Directive, a Daikaiju podcast, produced and created by me, Luke Jackanetti, as part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network, available at twotruefreaks.com. This is a fan work celebrating the history and culture of Japanese giant monsters. All movies, TV shows, comic books, characters, and other intellectual property is copyright their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended or implied. If you'd like to send an email to the show, you can email me at earthdestructiondirective at yahoo.com. I respond to all emails, and if you send in some comments, I'll read them on the show. All episodes of Earth Destruction Directive can be found at twotruefreaks.com. You can also find the show on iTunes. Just search for Earth Destruction Directive. You can even leave an iTunes review if you want. You can get in touch with the show on Facebook. Just search for Earth Destruction as the first name and Directive as the last name. You can also get in touch with me on Twitter 
with the handle Eljacone. That's L-J-A-C-O-N-E. And if you want to buy something discussed on the show, head on over to 2TrueFreaks.com and click on the Amazon.com link on the front page. Any items you buy during your session on Amazon.com will help keep the lights on, and it won't cost you anything extra. Thanks for listening, and be sure to come back next time for more city-stomping fun on Earth Destruction Directive. Tune in next time to hear the crusty old podcaster from Oklahoma say, There's a WTF <laughs> moment if I ever saw one. Well, it's big and terrible. More frightening than I ever thought possible.